Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next podcast here at Shrek Babble. This is Kevin. This is Matthew. And we are going to be reviewing uh, Voyager Season 1, uh, Episode Faces. Uh, I think I'm safe in saying this is a highlight of Season 1. It's certainly one of my uh, favorites of Voyager. Uh, this is a, it's a really good episode for, uh, for Torres, obviously, and we'll, we'll discuss why, but I... No, I'm not. I don't think I'm spoiling anything by saying I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna rate this episode well. Well, um, you know, in some ways, it's surprising that this episode does work because it relies on, you know, one of the original sci-fi tropes that was introduced by the original series, which is the uh, split personality uh, story. You know, of course, the enemy within uh, a very early TOS episode in which Kirk is split into a good and evil half. Um, I suppose you could say that goes back to Jekyll and Hyde in some ways, uh, which that was a Jules Verne story, right? I think Jekyll and Hyde was um, Robert Louis Stevenson. Really? Okay, anyway. Uh, anyway, one of the original sci-fi tropes. Um, yeah, maybe you're right. Anyhow, so, you know, you would... You wouldn't be uh, out of bounds to think, you know, oh, gee, they're going back to this well so quickly, which, in fact, is something that Brandon Braga <laughs> said in his comments uh, to the Star Trek press about this episode. Uh, you know, he said, you know, usually when a show goes to the split personality episode, it, it means they've run out of ideas. Um, but they bought this pitch, uh, and... Braga's comment was, well, gee, why not get it out of the way right now? <laughs> uh, anyway, I, I think uh, Kenneth Biller found a good way to actually do the trope well, which is to bring the Vidians into it. Um, you and I both enjoyed the first Vidian episode quite a bit. Uh, so this is the second Vidian episode, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, look, the Vidians are... A, it's a setup that's ripe for horror storytelling. Uh, and, you know, we're going to get some pretty good horror yeah, in this episode. I, I think, uh, just looking back on my memories of this episode, I think the two things that saved this from being schlock are, one, the horror, and we'll, we'll identify the moment it happens, because it very obviously happens, is really upsetting. Like, it's just, okay, shit, that's upsetting. And the other, they, they use it, to tell an interesting story about a main character. So it's not just this bad thing happens to a main character and then is resolved by the end of the episode. There's like some meaningful character exploration. And I think that's, you know, you can use tropes well. You know, there's a reason certain stories and certain elements of stories survive forever. They're yeah. good. They're interesting. It's, you know, they're <laughs> Lord of the Rings did not exhaust wizards forever. You know, there we can still tell a good story with a wizard. It's fine. You just have to, you know, do something with it. And I think the episode does. So, with that, um, I I am queued up and and ready to go. Yeah. Uh, so everybody, get your recordings ready, and we will all press play together. In three, two, one, press play. So we start out. Uh, with an interesting, you know, look here, you know, we've got this 
almost crucified uh, prisoner. And any Star Trek fan worth their salt should be able to recognize a Klingon forehead here. And okay. then, of course, the, the voiceover says, Belana Torres, wake up. You know, so, okay, you've been watching this. This, this was a 30-second teaser. Uh, it's done. You know, boom. I, How do you I, feel about it? I, I like it. I'm intrigued. Um, okay, like it's clear something has happened to Balana, and it's going to have consequences. Great. Um, I suppose here's as good a place as any to discuss my one actual problem with uh, with this episode um, in terms of the Vidians. So, okay, it's, it's two subparts of a problem. One, where do they get a complete human and Klingon genome? Because theoretically, Balana should only have half of each. Like, how would they... Re- and I'll, I'll take it as Red the Vidians have this ability to, to extrapolate the missing half. Because even if you just duplicated her Klingon cells, that shouldn't make another person who looks like Valana but a Klingon. Because some of what Valana's face looks like has to come from her human DNA. Well, I'm willing to chalk it up to the previous episode in which they performed uh, detailed medical scans on multiple crew members... Uh, they should have a complete uh, Talaxian, Ocampan, human, and human-Klingon hybrid genome. I guess you're right. You know, that, like so, I, I would know where they'd get the complete human genome. The Klingon, complete Klingon genome, might be a little more problematic. Right. And how would you make that in one person? My other question, and this is just in terms of the Vidians and their problem. They had to make a second person, like somewhere they created another another body. With the they split them into two people, and Balan is only one person. So the law of conservation of matter and energy in the universe <laughs> says they had to get that body from somewhere. So yeah. if they can artificially create a whole body full of organs, why not just do that? Yeah, I I think that is where the episode is wanting it's not a huge problem and had they had they said we that you know like that could have even been creepier if they grafted balana's human dna onto another human crew member killing that like like they genesis affected uh the other crew member that would have been really upsetting if balana thought that her existence was the, at the cost of another voyager crew member that could have been fun like there was a way around the problem it just nags me because it's like clearly you could replicate a person because you had to in order to make this work so why not just do that i mean we're almost at the point where we could replicate synthetic organs yeah like i i fully expect in my lifetime that you should be able to replicate healthy organs from anyone's you know genetic material um this is a fun scene it uh so moving on to the episode in front of us as, as, as it happens um it the comedy's solid I, I think tim russ does a good job of acting as a vulcan would act when he ate something too hot for comfort that you know and that's funny um this just skirts the line of a problem i always tend to have with neelix where neelix seems just dense to the reaction he actually gets you yeah. know like it, it's visible to anyone literally anyone that uh, tuvok did not enjoy this and it also wouldn't make sense, as Tuvok correctly points out, um, why would you change a recipe to present it as the classic version of a recipe? 
So it, 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 we were discussing this before the podcast started. It's kind of like the problem with Loxana. When you present her as so as like willfully densely obnoxious, it makes the character kind of annoying. I don't think this crossed the line, but it's a symptom of when they will cross the line. Yeah, I, I think it's skirting the boundary. Um, you know, Neelix Tuvok humor is always pretty good. Like they, the actors seem to have a, a good chemistry, and it's a good sort of you know straight man uh, yeah. versus you know kook relationship. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think the soup was clearly like Campbell's tomato soup. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No two ways about it. Um, I like the fact that Tuvok uses the word uh, piquant. Um, <laughs> You know, and since I always watch with subtitles, uh, for for years, for decades, because it has never come up in conversation, I thought it was piquant. You know, <laughs> uh, mine was so epi- Star Trek my, taught me something. Yeah, mine was epitome. I, I for years I read that word in like Agatha Christie novels before realizing it was pronounced epitome. You know, that one never got me, uh, but yeah, uh, piquant was yeah. was one of mine. Um, okay, the, the scene here we're getting on the bridge always nagged me a little because it's about 10, 15 minutes before the crew realizes it's the Vidians, and they're being tricked with precisely the same trick with which they were tricked in the first Vidian episode, and that is the holographic disappearing cavern deal. And I thought they should have realized it sooner. So, uh, Roxanne, Biggs Dawson, Klingon acting. How do you feel about it? Um, it's a little... Uh, She's like of, Frankenstein's monster. Or yeah, something. and I'm willing to chalk that up to... And it, I think it gets a little more fluid as the episode progresses. Like, when she's in the cavern with herself, I think she does a... Um, it's a little more organic... Um, and, you know, it's funny because I actually marked this episode as a as a bit of a watershed moment for um, me like it for my affection for this character because I, I think in the first two or three episodes her her shouting was uh, it, it just something wasn't pitched quite right for me and after this episode I think they crystallized on an interpretation of her Klingonness in her temper that I always found much more dramatically satisfying so. I guess getting to act like a straight Klingon for an episode helped work out what, for me, were a couple of bugs. So the, the plot setup, you know, it, it's one of these... And this happens a lot, especially in Voyager, but not just in Voyager. You know, it's like the away mission with two or three crew members, two main cast members and one red shirt. Yeah. <laughs> And they've been captured by the Vidians. And, like, it always just kind of bugged me that you'd have a ship of 150 people, a limited number of shuttlecraft, you know, and you would send not even the, the, the choice of people, the fact that you would send anybody, you know, into this, you know, wild and wild, untamed territory. Uh, and just not expect them to get their asses killed, you know, was just kind of bizarre to me. So, for instance, you know, it happened with Tom and Paris, not Tom, uh, Harry and Tom Paris, 
you know, in the uh, the film noir episode, ex post facto. Yeah. It just it's like it seems like you would come up with a policy, you know. It's like no away missions more than like one planetary orbit away from the ship, you know. Yeah. I don't know. It it's just bizarre to me that it takes such a long time for people on the ship to be like, oh yeah, there's something wrong. And you think they should um, be playing their playing it closer to the vest. They do have a limited number of people. And like yeah, I said, what, so... what, what nags me is they were duped by an identical dupe to the first dupe. And that's just like, really? Really? Yeah. So, you know, this scene, we're, we're kind of, this is sort of like a concentration camp. You know, yeah. It's sort of like Dr. Mengele type experiments. Um, well, it never made sense to me that they would force them to work because it seems like you you seem sophisticated enough. You shouldn't really need manual labor to do this. And wouldn't they be more valuable to you as just, I mean, how many people break a bone or, you know, fall and hit their heads or whatever, you know, injure themselves in a way that would make them less valuable as replacement donors? Like, wouldn't it make more sense just to harvest them immediately? Of course, then we yeah. wouldn't have an episode. Now, do you do you recall ever feeling like it was uh, questionable as a viewer whether this guy, uh, so it's Brian Markinson, oh, uh, who's playing Durst, was also the main Vidian baddie? Like, did you ever feel like you could recognize his voice or his no, his not, facial features? Certainly not the first time through. Um, I remember realizing, oh, they must have used the same actor for both and just removed some of the makeup rather than added it um, to indicate he had stolen his face. Um, but I don't recall thinking it when I first watched it. Okay. So this I guy did... playing Talaxian, uh, he does reprise, not the same character, but you know another Talaxian in season seven's homestead he is not however wixaban the uh old friend of neelix's who gets him into trouble is he is he the one that tom contacts or the one that neelix contacts to find out that someone's planning on leaving voyager when tom's doing his his thing i think that's wixaban yeah oh is it okay i uh, as far as durst i knew durst was gonna die He I mean, did. Ooh, boy. You watched enough Star Trek. Yeah, I'm like, you're not long for this world, random officer whose name is not in the credit. <laughs> so he's bald. I guess Picard is bald. I guess the doctor is bald. Like, when it's the doctor, you kind of understand. You know? I, I don't know. I just... Something about the idea that male pattern baldness persists into this medical utopian future well i suppose you could treat it as they would not they would choose not to treat it because they're not so vague an explanation yeah. i don't buy for a second <laughs> well yeah that has to be it you know so here's another uh, cave with the dripping stalactites uh you know so i'm what now i'm thinking back at state of flux and i'm wondering if it's an effect that they created yeah i, I think this is definitely a planet hell set but it's, it's a good one they, they've learned their rocks 
oh, I continue to want one of those wrist beacons. It yeah. seems so useful. I, I, I am stunned that it has never caught on in the real world. Like, it seems like having both hands free while having access to a flashlight would be an incredibly useful thing, and I can't believe they don't sell them. Yeah, so it's just this setup of away team runs afoul and yeah. Voyager is investigating after the fact. It just it's like for there to be enough time passing for all this crap to have happened right. kind of defies belief for me. You know, at this angle you can kind of see the wig line on uh, on Torres yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah, the Durst makeup is... The, the makeup on the actor, I think, is good. It's good enough that you wouldn't recognize his face, and I I just don't think the other guy got to talk enough until... Like, so unless you knew, knew to look for it, I don't think you would have a reasonable shot at knowing. Well, I've seen this several times, and I know... I mean... I think you can kind of hear it in his voice here. I'm not saying it's bad, and I think yeah. the actor does a fine job. Yeah. So we're learning a bit more about the phage. Yeah. Uh, you know, just the just the physical pain can hurt people. Do you feel like the the human version of Belana should have been introduced sooner, or are you you kind of okay with the the delayed reveal? Of I'm okay with the delayed reveal. My questions are: Where did they get the parts? Um, also, why keep her alive? Or why not? I mean. Why not just kill her? What what possible? Well, I guess if they need slave labor, that's one. Yeah, it's always it's always it's it's like the same problem I have with the clone and nemesis. What per possible purpose does this person's continued existence serve? Um, I I hate to say it because it I mean the the setup itself led to some really great scenes for the character of her Klingon half talking to her human half, but I really think Valana should have just been altered for herself as herself, as I think that would have. Um, been a more credible science fictiony thing like because then you could have said we suppressed your human dna or human proteins being expressed and your klingon dna is now dominant that would have been more interesting uh, well credible. so you know there was a line of dialogue in the earlier scene between these two characters in which she said perhaps it was a mistake to allow your consciousness and yeah. memories to to manifest and it's uh yeah i mean it's just a huge can of worms it's like clearly as we're going to discover you know the vidians are capable of replicating a personality right you know, a consciousness in it like, you know if you want to call it a soul you could call it a soul you know whatever whatever it is um i mean yeah <laughs> I, like I'm willing to, to chalk up the material question to you know a transporter may use you know matter yeah. from one location yeah, to yeah. Re reconstitute somebody. All right, so now it's 15 minutes in. We have human Bolana. I'm really glad someone remembered not to give them both Starfleet uniforms. Yeah. What have they done to you? How do you feel about... <laughs> One thing Kelly always says when we watch this episode is, you know, she looks so much better in her Klingon makeup. 
not the full Klingon, but the half Klingon. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I, I hope, you know, Roxanne Biggs Dawson, Roxanne Dawson, yeah. you're not listening and aren't, aren't upset by that. Uh, well, I think I, th- I think it's a matter of familiarity. Yeah, I I think it's also just uh, I like the lighter hair, that like the, it's more of a you know medium brown instead of a darker brunette. It's just a person. It's like a personal preference, but it's just. And you know, I think you're right too. It's just we're so used to seeing her with the forehead, and she's an attractive woman with the forehead, and they really you know do a good job of sexing her up at various points. So you kind of buy it. Um, kind of like Kalar, where it's like it's just a, it's it's a dramatic look that half Klingon woman is a very you know it, it's well, flattering it's like makeup sexy enough to to humans you know but exotic enough you know yeah i guess this is her real hair um well i mean yeah what, what, what would be the point of uh what, why, why go to the effort of a wig <laughs> it sure looks real on the temples yeah yeah So this is really nice, uh, you know, dialogue, talking about how she used to try to hide her forehead. And this is probably the first real Tom and Bellana moment. Yeah. You know? Like he's being protective and and uh, caring and, and sensitive. You know, it's I like this the little note about relations between the home world and the Federation not being great because one that Klingons refer to it as the home world, which I like, um, and she's got to be what late twenties, early thirties, I think the character. Yeah. The act I know I think the actress is a few years older, but and and not that's just not that's just the fact. I don't think it's it. Yeah, I'm guessing like between twenty five and thirty for the character. Yes. Yeah. So you know work. 25 years back you're pretty much at or just after the um destruction of the enterprise c at narendra 3 so that actually fits she would have been a child when the klingon peace accords the meaningful alliance was just being forged so nice little continuity note so Raxian big sasson is uh you know really portraying the scene well you know, the real tear. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I got to think that, you know, this kind of story is very resonant for, you know, anybody with identity uh, yeah. questions, whether it's being biracial, you know, being... Uh, so let's say any non-normative identity. Right, issues, right. You know, being biracial, being homosexual. Right, being, you, could, you could extract that part of yourself, would you? Uh, and I, I like the conflict for it registers more in the human Bolana um, than than the Klingon one. But you know, there, there's some exploration there of what you gain and what you lose by not being by by taking those parts of yourself out. And, and I gotta say, I I do I do think that the exploration of you know, it it's her temper that gets her into trouble, but it's that same qualities that make her fearless when she needs to be and and whatnot. It's a far more subtle exploration of her duality than I think we got in Enemy with Enemy Within. You know, I'm the captain. I'm the captain. You know, I think <laughs> I think we we took a step back from that. And there's no dog in Paper Mache Getup, so all yeah. of that. Uh, see, this right here, no one said Vidian yet, and I'm like, 
come on. We had, ex I think this might even be the same cave set. Like, where, there we go, finally. It's just, it, it's just like, come on. This is where Neelix, this might be the very sound stage where Neelix lost his lungs. Like, yeah. someone should have picked up on that sooner. Um, also, world's worst handcuffs. She pretty, like, she could almost, like, slender her hand and just pull her arm right out. I mean, those are, like, the dumbest braces ever. <laughs> I wonder if that table is a reuse from, uh... Oh, what's the alien abduction episode of TNG? Gizms. Yeah. Well, there's there's no arm and there's no, uh... There's no, uh... Hideous I, I agree there's no middle <laughs> swing arm and, and no, no scissors. No, no clicking. No alphanumeric, uh... You know, pad. Yeah. You know, it, it's nice that they're not making this Klingon character just a caricature. <clears throat> you know, she still has... She's savvy. Yeah. Can be deceitful in order to get things. Yeah. And so it, it makes it feel like this is actually Balana just as the human is actually Balana. Yeah. You know, they, they just could have made the Klingon version, you know, a, a foolish sort of thing. Right. Presumably, when they reintegrate, uh, you know, they both retain all the memories. Oh, well, no, no, because... Um... Klingon Balana dies. It's the doctor just reintroduces her genetic sequences, remember? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, theoretically, Balana remembers none of this. Now, and the, and those this is clearly of, a glove here. Yeah, that's probably the least effective piece of Indian makeup in the, in the show so far, because everything else always looks like gangbusters. I do really like this dialogue. You know, I like what the Vidian scientist is saying here. You know, yeah, they're also portraying him. You know, he's not just an evil monster. He's not Doctor Mengele. Right. Know. He's not doing this because he enjoys it. He doesn't want to be condescended to. He does want the touch of another person. Uh, the mouth makeup is really upsetting. It's like it really looks like his mouth is rotting on the inside. It's yeah, it's like the white spots kind of look like mold. Yeah. Uh, something that's been in the fridge for too long. It lo like, it looks like his gums have decayed. Like, his teeth must not be very stable. There's some bright lights. I think this is, like, soundproofing material. Yeah, for egg crate stuff, yeah. Well, I, I I like that they both they both read as Balana, but with a defect, like yeah. like you know Klingon Balana is too aggressive and doesn't consider her. At, wow, that is a really awesome like the guy in the left here. It looks like the left side of his or the right side of his face is like decayed in, like beneath where normal skin and bone should be. That's a really good effect. Like, my, how did Michael Westmore not win an Emmy for these guys? Um, and I, I like that Balana didn't consider that pretending to be sick would just get her killed faster. Yeah. Like that, 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 so I, I'm just saying it's a good, it's good character notes that they both 
failed in some way. It's, um, so, you know, we can spoil the horror. You know, this scene becomes extra effective when you know that Tom is trying to push his way, you know, into actually having his face scraped off. Yeah. <laughs> I do kind of wonder why they wanted Durst instead of Tom Paris. You know, maybe by Vidian standards of beauty, Durst was more attractive. I don't know. Well, I, I think the Vidians knew that uh, Durst didn't have a seven-year contract. Yeah. Well, you know, practically speaking, it's because it's the same actor portraying both characters. Right. I found the scenes on the bridge a little boring because it's them walking around being like, can we do that? What about this? What about this? And what about this? And, you know, it's just, it, it feels a little fillery to me. Yeah, I, I agree. And the solution with Chakotay actually annoys the hell out of me because the Federation appears to be the only, and I mean the only, entity. And this always happens with the good guys, where the good guys are all friends. The good guys would immediately know if there were an intruder because it'd be like, hey, who's that guy whose face looks different than mine and anyone I've ever met? Um, whereas with the bad guys, it's like they're always like nameless, faceless thugs, so all you have to do is be wearing the same gray shirt and you can sneak in. That always bothered the hell out of me in um, in Star Trek and everything. You know, it's just, it's just a cheap trick. Um, so it bothers me that Chakotay basically succeeds at it. So here's the big horror moment oh, which is yeah the face transplant oh, which God. of course this episode came out uh, a good 10 years before the actual first successful face transplant yeah uh, in earth medicine um i believe it was a chinese woman whose face was torn off by a tractor or something hmm. so um I, it's really upsetting it's incredible it's good makeup too because it's not just like a clean transplant there's like the chunky seam lines and stuff it's, yeah yeah it's really awful um i do question like given that we've had the vidians presented as an internally consistent moral people you know how could he possibly think that would work it, it, <laughs> it'd be like saying you missed your cat so i had your cat killed and stuff forever like like it's just there's no way a rational being would assume another rational being would do anything other than recoil in horror like we all did. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, maybe it's I a, gotta think that within Vidian society, this is, this if you is, were to yeah. you know score yourself a new face, you might get some tail, you know, because you look less disgusting than your peers. I, I don't know. I don't know. It just it like I I have trouble believing that the scientists would really believe Bolana would not be really bothered by that because oh, well I I agree that it seems to kind of belie his previous characterization right. yeah. in yeah. the story as sensitive and right right and maybe it's like desperate and it, it, like it, I get that but um okay I like the makeup job on Chakotay. My problem, my problem with this whole thing is, especially when the guard catches him, it's like, oh, I have a new face. Okay, then what's your name? They didn't give you a new name, right? What's your name? And it just, it, it's when the villain, anytime anyone has to be stupid for the plot to progress, it's going to bother me. Yeah. Um, Robert Beltran uh, is quoted as saying that the makeup was 
very challenging, but not actually for the reasons that we might think. It, he said it was challenging because of how vulnerable and, uh, you know, naked and ugly it made him feel to have that kind of face. Huh. Um, you know, which is an interesting, interesting note. So well, he said he felt very, very vulnerable. Well, he looked like a burn victim. I imagine it must be really creepy to look at that in the mirror. Yeah. I mean, because at least with the other aliens, it, you know, it's physically rigorous, but especially, you know, with like a Vulcan or a Bajoran or even you know, most of the aliens look not horrifying and many look very attractive. Um, so like you can look in the mirror and like have a little fun with it. Like I, I think if I got like a real set of Cardassian makeup, I would have a, I would work that Halloween costume like you wouldn't believe. So like it would at least be like an interesting, cohesive look where, you know, I can see that looking like a zombie must be a little upsetting. So we're getting sort of the second element of the transformation here. You know, the, the human Bellana character is talking about how she's you know, timid and afraid. And in, in some ways, this harks back to uh, an episode like The Loss, actually, um, in which Counselor Troy has her Betazoid uh, aspects yeah. suppressed, you know, and so she, she feels... Uh, sort of incompetent right. as a human, you know, and it, it's not to say that humans are timid because clearly, you know, they're not, it's just, she's not used to it. Right. Know? So I do feel like they're trying to make a comment on humanity to some degree. And this is what Tom is saying here, you know, human beings have fear and it's an interesting sci-fi question. Do, do they have fear in a different way than Klingons have fear? You know, fear is an evolutionary response. Uh, so it seems natural that Klingons would also have a different evolutionary response. Yeah. I do question why the barracks has a console. Like, seems like that'd be a bad place to put the you know, sensitive equipment in your, in your, in your prison barracks, but you know, whatever. Yeah. So we're doing the whole, like, you know, it's impossible to transport in except through this, you know, one little crack and it, you know, you spend like a minute talking about it and then a minute doing it. And it's like, just say you can transport in, you know? Yeah, I guess they have to make it hard because they could have just beamed them directly out or something. I don't right. know. Do both the Klingon Balana and the human Balana have universal translators installed? <laughs> uh, <laughs> the drama circuit. What do you think of the head ridges? I thought even in her full Klingon form, they were a little too subtle and uniform. Um, you know, uh, you know, there's a lot of variation. Yeah, it's not fatal. I just thought they could have made them a little more, you know, crunch, you know, like a chunky bar instead of a Butterfinger. A lot of times, um, they have made the females a bit yeah, less. Yeah, yeah, the crests are a little less dramatic. 
And it actually, with this makeup job, it kind of depends on the angle. Because when they were showing her prone, yeah. on the table, yeah, it, it looked more... really, you know, ridgy and elaborate. Yeah. yeah. It looks less so head on. It's nice to know the Vidian's password was password. Oh, and they're still using their logo on everything. It would be like us having an American flag everywhere. Yeah. For a shower and a hot meal. It's clear lines like that are, are intended to... Evoke, yeah, Nazi, yeah. Nazi concentration camps. It's a little jarring because it's like that's sadistic, and again, the whole the whole reason the Vidians are dramatically interesting is that they are not two dimensional. Well, I don't know. I mean, I could see. I mean, clearly, it's unsettling and weird that they have to harvest organs. I could see that kind of thing necessitating. Uh, you know, this kind of state. So this is a pretty good split screen effect. Yeah. Especially with all the shadow stuff, it's 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 well done. <laughs> Thank God she fainted, so we could just have a you know stunt double uh Well heck, we don't even know if either of those is the real actress. That's true. Looks like they're using the circular uh hallway there. Yeah. It's a nice set overall. They they really built out that sound stage with the the barracks to, to look pretty good. Yeah. Anyway, I, c I could see it as reasonable that the Vidians would have concentration camps here and there, <coughs> whether for medical experiments or just to keep people alive until they could harvest their organs. What What is it? Clearly, it's a chicken breast. Yeah, that is that is really just a piece of chicken. If there's, that's literally a very obvious chicken breast. I gotta say, I'm enjoying her human performance uh, much better. I th maybe it's just because I can more readily see the through line to the Bolana we know a little more cl clearly. Like, uh, there, there's a way she's pitching the performance that, like, like when she decided to confess in um, Prime Factors, it was that same sense of vulnerability that I'm that you can just really see in her eyes and the way she, just the way she's Yeah, talking. absolutely. I agree um, with that. So I, I eat her half Klingon temper doesn't quite have the same connection that this full Klingon temper does. And it's, and again, like, it's not a, it's not bad. It's just, I don't have the same... Um, I don't have the same sense of a through line between the two, but you know it's still it's still good and it's still interesting. Yeah, this is really good split screen work. 
Well, I think that shot was with the, you know, someone else in the Klingon makeup. Mm. So this is interesting dialogue. You know, the, the Klingon half is demanding that the human half acknowledge that she has utility, that she, you know, she's good at things. Like, like did the Klingon half manifest, like, Valana's Klingon self-loathing and she resents it? Like, that's, that's, a, that's a very metaphysical thing the Vidians managed to replicate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it would seem like they would actually both have the same memories and would just now be experiencing them or experiencing the world with those memories in a different way. I, yeah, it's uh, it's very tricky. It's difficult to kind of suss out. You know, it, you, you know, the, the opposite way they could have done this is have human Balana be like super effective and efficient and really bouncy and happy to be see everyone and have Klingon Balana be like the one riddled with self-doubt and self-loathing and be unable to act until Balana convinced her like you know they need a Klingon strength and agility and fighting skill to get them out of there and human Balana has to give her Klingon self a pep talk because the Klingon Balana would have internalized all of regular Balana's self-loathing that could have been a fun way to do this yeah you know the other way I was thinking was um what if one of them did not have all the memories, you know, and the yeah. personality. Like, one of them was basically like Spock in Star Trek Three, right? You know, sort of an empty shell who's physically capable, but mentally just not all there. You know, and so maybe there would be some reason that the human Balana, who has apparently gotten what she wants, has to save Klingon Balana. You know, I don't know. I, it would sidestep some of these metaphysical questions, which are just not going to be answered. Um, yeah, this the scene just annoys me. It just the solutions nag me. Um, yeah, why are you talking to that prisoner? I've never seen you before. <laughs> Your that face was just grafted. Yeah, I send it back, dude. Um, but seriously, ask his name. Like this, yeah. Like it's it's like the as much as I love the Dominion War arc, one of the things that always nagged me was if someone stole a Federation starship and used it to sneak into Federation space, we'd be like, oh, that's the the HMS lollipop that was stolen like two years ago. It's kind of weird that it's here now. Right. But because yeah. the Jemadar presented as faceless, nameless, cold creatures, the deception works because every dominion ship looks like every other. It's like, that's slightly less credible. So it's just this, you know, when you get right down to it, my, my other problem with the Chakotay plot is it was completely useless. Like, I mean, I guess he comes in with a phaser at some point, but it's like, did, did we really need Voyager to intervene? It seemed like the Volanas were largely doing fine. So here we have um, 
the human half being competent. Yeah. You know, she she's good with computers, she can be calm under pressure. The little patch of hair on the side. Oh, I never noticed that. Oh, now I'm more upset. <laughs> it's like they saved the sideburns. Which raises the question, you know, why didn't they just take like the whole... Head. Yeah. Yeah. See, yeah, all Chakotay did was hold a phaser. This scene would have played out equally well with the two Volanas. Like, you know, she's guarding... Klingon Volana's guarding human Volana. In comes the Durst Vidian, who's going to try and stop Volana. Phasers her, and Klingon Volana takes the hit. That same scene would have played out just fine without Chakotay there. So, so it makes the whole thing feel like filler. So there's our no moment. Yeah, that was a good no. That was a good scream. They didn't linger. Uh they didn't go to slow-mo, so that, you know. Certainly. I will say, the actor does a good job through the makeup. Man, it's oh, a yeah. lot of makeup. Ugh, I hate when characters say there's no time. If you can say there's no time, <laughs> there might actually be time. <laughs> well, especially because she's Klingon and she has all the redundant organs and stuff like that. But, I mean, it's clear that the story is demanding that she die. Right. This is this just feels artificial. She should just already be dead. It would actually be more wrenching without this little moment. This is actually like a feeling, like, resolution. Like, had she not gotten that, that would have been more jarring for the character and more interesting dramatically. Well, so I guess this is the it's-not-linear moment. Yeah. This this also kind of nags me because as a half Klingon she she should have at least some of the redundant or like it's it's not just that she's a human with some Klingon DNA in her cells she's a half Klingon so, I mean maybe she has a six chambered heart I don't know but it seems like this should be a more complicated process than the doctor's implying. Yeah, it, so it's kind of like gene therapy or something. Right. And like could it, I be could, could I be half Klingon? That'd be cool. Well, yeah, it just seems weird that this gene therapy would so radically alter someone's exterior visage. Um, I mean, so I, I like the fact that they're indicating that there is a medical necessity to do right. it. Right. You know. Like I, I think it would it, it would have been too neat if she just decided if she just requested to be reintegrated like now she's learned to appreciate her Klingon half that would have been like the after school special version of the episode yeah yeah but I, I like that she has to do it because it makes the ongoing struggle she has with her Klingon half more credible because it wasn't tied up neatly in a bow. Well, they're gonna revisit uh, you know Bellana's feelings about her Klingonness. Uh, three or four times, and sometimes very effectively. There's a great episode coming up late in the series in which she wants to remove the Klingon DNA oh, from yeah. her Oh, yeah. Fucking awesome child. episode. Yeah, like, great sci-fi, great character story. A um, little bit of a retcon, because Sarah shows her father leaving at 13, and she said in this episode, in fact, that he left when she was five. But we'll, we'll let that 
tiny problem. Yeah, you know, sometimes they hammer out story details. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She she was you know she was addled. She she, she was half human, <laughs> or uh, you know, she'd been separated, or something. Yeah. That. So the whole thing about the memories, I feel like because they killed one half, that they added that to make sure that the viewer would know that both halves had all the memories or something. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. You know, very nice acting here. It's, uh, couldn't she just have the ridges cosmetically removed? Yeah. I mean, like, cosmetic surgery is pretty good in the future. Yeah. They can, they can make someone look Bajoran. They can make someone not look Bajoran anymore. You know, like... All that kind of stuff. So it seems like they should be able to just erase the ridges. Hmm. Um, hmm. All right. Well, oh, okay. I like this episode. I know. I'm in the same spot that I was in for, um, oh, help me out here, State of Flux, our last podcast, in fact. Yeah. There's something about the energy of the story and the quality of the acting that covers a multitude of sins. And, like, my memory of State of Flux is better than the episode eventually got, than the rating we gave it. Like, I, I like it as much as a four, even though I, you know, we I gave it a three. And, I, and especially on the writing aspect of this, I think that's where I am. Like, I remember enjoying this episode more than I think the rating might ultimately reflect, sitting here watching it and, you know, really critiquing it. Yeah, I mean, on some basic level, the story works, you know. But then, if you submit it to any scrutiny, various aspects of it kind of fall apart. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, the acting is unimpeachable. You know, I, I think Roxanne Biggs Dawson does a whale of a job. You know, she portrays two differing characters credibly, and she portrays them in a way that they make sense based on what you've seen of the integrated character prior to this. Uh, so it's, you know, it's clear that when she's given challenging material, she can excel with it. Uh, you know, I liked Robert Duncan McNeil. Um, you know, I thought he showed some nice uh, depth as Tom Paris. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the rest of the, the bridge crew, yeah, they were fine. You know, I guess the uh, the Tuvok and Neelix scene sticks out now as not really belonging to the episode. Yeah. <laughs> if you want filler, that's your filler right there. I guess they felt they needed a bit of comic relief. <laughs> but it, it's I, they had to do it early because it would make no sense if they did it, you know, 30 minutes in. Yeah. Um, it was a good, it was a well done scene. <laughs> um, you know, so the acting I would say is, is a solid for, yeah. uh, production values, you know, it's, it's kind of dark, you know, but there's some pretty good sets. There's some very nice makeup. Um, I think production's at least a four. Um, so it really just comes down to the writing and how annoyed you get by, various artificialities um how annoyed do you get 
one of those, um, it only vaguely, it, it peripherally nags me while I'm watching it. It doesn't really bother me until we're, like, analyzing it. When I'm just watching that to watch it, I, I enjoy it. It has energy and tension and horror and, uh, you know, it's like you think about stuff and like, oh, that's cool. And, oh, Bolan is crying and that makes me sad. And, um, it, like, I feel lots of feelings, um, which I suppose on some level does mark the episode as being, you know, competent. Um, you know, I think we're kind of in this, I, 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 especially in terms of, uh, uh, like writing, I think it's in the same vein for me as State of Flux, where it's like the the story itself moves well, it's interesting, I'm certainly not bored, but under scrutiny, it really does start to deflate. Um, I would say, and I I agree with your assessments of acting and and production value. So, in the balance, I'm happy, grudgingly, to give this a four overall. Because like State of Flux, you know, it has energy and tension and pacing, and I enjoy watching it a great deal. Um, and I think what nudges it to the four over the three for me is the exploration of Bolana's character that we got in terms of writing and acting. Like, I so enjoyed that, and I so appreciate it, that I think it, it, it compensates just enough for the story problems um, to make it a four overall. Hmm. Yeah, that was well-written stuff. Um, I think, based on my previously stated biases and uh, preferences, you know, I'm going to have to go with a three because I want my the science in my sci-fi to have a bit more internal cohesion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the questions are big enough questions for me that it drags me out a bit, you know, because the whole episode is not Bellana ruminating on her identity, you know, that's like 10 minutes worth of the episode. And those 10 minutes are really good, but another 20 minutes of the story, you know, is more of the, the medical scientific, you know, sort of aspect of it, you know, and is that the important stuff? Well, probably not. You know, it's the character stuff that is the most important. Uh, but as a whole episode, had I mean, heck, they probably could have just sort of not explained it at all. Right, <laughs> or just something. done it. Just done it. Yeah. And then told the character story without, you know, opening these sorts of cans of worms. Um, you know, so for the, the fact that we have unresolved open worm cans uh that's enough for me to say you know it brings it down into average territory for me you know and and i I certainly understand that i mean i i spent a great deal of time comparing it to state of flux another episode i liked but i gave it three and i i think what nudges it for me is just how much i enjoyed the the character stuff well you know so yeah state of flux it's got really good uh dynamics between Seska and Chakotay, you know, it, it creates room for a really nice performance by Martha Hackett. Yeah. Um, you know, and so the same can be said about this. Uh, this is better in that it has the Vidians as opposed to the Kazon. Yeah. But in some ways, like, 
it raises more questions about the Vedians than it answers, you know. Uh, so in some ways, to me, it kind of fails to uh, exploit the Vedians well in the same way that State of Flux fails to exploit the Kazon. Of course, State of Flux doesn't have a previous great Kazon episode to draw on, you know, right. whereas this... You know, I don't think it's as good as Phage. You know, no, no, I agree. It's not as good as a science fiction story. Yeah, I, I, I get that. Like I said, I, I think it's one of those like, this just makes it over the line. I really enjoy this episode, and the character story is just enough to overcome the flaws I completely, you know, agree with. Uh, yeah. I, and their identification, you know, it, it, it's a close question for me, and I think it, it just makes it. Yeah, no, that, it it's borderline. I agree with that. Um, so that makes our total a seven, uh, which I think is a pretty good rating for an episode like this. Yeah, good but flawed. Yeah, um, you know, it was it was a nice episode to get uh, this early in the series. It was nice to return to the the Vidians as a villain. It was very nice to inject this horror element. You know, into the franchise. Yeah, that, that was really effective. Probably, I would say this is the best horror episode that I can think of, actually, hmm. to this point. Um, you know, we had gotten Night Terrors, which was just a mess of a story, uh, and, and really the, the pacing was bad. Um, there were some good creepy horror moments, but they didn't really matter to the story as much. Um, whereas this one did, you know, hmm. like you really felt it. So, you know, I think it's cool that they were able to so effectively pull off a horror beat like that. I would put Genesis on par with this. Like, whatever its story problems aside, I think Genesis did a really good job of mining monster movie tropes. Like, you know, oh, yeah. Yeah, it was like the fly meets the, the right. ape man. Meets, yeah, sure. Yeah. I agree with that. And, and um, Chain of Command horrifies me, but that's not horror. That's just horrifying. That's psychological horror. Right, right. This, this is both psychological and gross-out horror. Right. You know, you know what, you know what episode's going to fail at evoking fear? That episode about the fear clown? That one's no. not going to work. <laughs> yeah, it's a saw. Um, oh, man. <laughs> no, we don't, we'll get there when we get there. Um you know, we're, we're coming to the end of season one, you know, so I, I guess if we're going to talk about it in a podcast, uh, this is the time to do it. Yeah, yeah, this, this marks the first time I think that our final podcast for a season won't be the season finale, but I'll, I'll defend that by pointing out that season one didn't really get a proper season finale. Yeah, it just sort of ended in the middle. Uh, and yeah, it was a mid-season replacement. Yeah, several season two episodes were filmed for season one and then held back. So, I, and I remember this. Uh, I remember wondering if um, there was the season was done because next week's TV Guide arrived in the mail because this was back when you know you had to look it up in TV Guide to know it was coming on TV. And it was all rerun like two weeks in a row was reruns, and I'm like, well. Is it, are they done? We're kind of in the middle of summer now, but not, UPN didn't market it as the season finale in the promos. So, um, 
I remember that being like, is it over? Are they are they done? That was kind of but okay. So so to sum up Voyager season one, I am surprised by how consistently good season one is. I think I I will I will admit that I believe that I allowed my eventual problems with several storylines like the Borg to backspill um, onto the earlier seasons as a whole. Um, I think we only gave out, you know, one or two fours. Everything else has been at least a six. Yeah, you know, I, to me this kind of strikes uh, strikes me as people who were in a groove with TNG and Deep Space Nine. Um, you know, Voyager to me in some ways is kind of like a well-oiled machine yeah uh, yeah as a, sh- as a show i would say this felt very much like the like like season three of next gen where it was just like okay we are we are hitting consistent good stories one right after the other you know like um i don't think it had as many heights as season three of next gen i think we only gave out 110 for phage i don't know yeah well, and I, I think that has something to do with the fact that the stories do still have to do establishing work. You know, it's like you can't rely on two or three years worth of established relationships right. to deepen stories, to make them more impactful. Um, you know, in, in many ways, the, the sort of the sausage making of creating a Star Trek show, the, the sci-fi plots can be somewhat uh you know tropey or mechanical or you know arbitrary it's like well let's do this kind of sci-fi story what makes it work or not work is how well the story is done and then how well the character uh interactions are integrated into the story you know and whether it feels like the characters are really living the story and and it's really affecting them and it's really changing them in meaningful ways that make it interesting for me to watch you know so when i say you know it has a very well-oiled machine feel to it like i feel like they can just kind of crank out sci-fi stories pretty effectively you know and they're they're not the most mind-blowing sci-fi stories in the world yet there are going to be some there are going to be some very good sci-fi stories told with voyager uh but they're good enough. They're effective. Um, you know, some of them are tropey. Some of them are a little repetitive here and there. Uh, you know, but it's like the first season was really consistent. It struck a consistent tone. The only thing that's inconsistent here and there is where characters are being emphasized and what, what, it's like what the editorial staff is choosing to make that character's story, you know? Like, yeah, I would so say... We talked only... about Neelix. You know, yeah. Neelix has been problematic. Uh, it seems like they've they've gone pretty well into this Kess thing with Kess as nurse, Kess as, uh, you know, observer of humanity, you know, like Kess as the advocate for the doctor. Um, they've struck a pretty good tone with Janeway. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the, the character I have the best picture of um, is Janeway, obviously. 
Um, well, and after after this episode, I'd have to say Bellana. Right, Bellana's up there. Strong, strongly rendered. Um, I, I I would say in the second tier, um, I would have a, a solid view of Paris and Tuvok. I think they both got fairly strong, fairly consistent characterizations and backstories and approaches and uh, you know yeah and they've gotten some good episodes yeah in which you could see it play out yeah I, I don't feel i have a read on chakotay i don't feel i have a read on harry the doctor he got one or two really good episodes like what episodes i enjoyed uh i have issues with heroes and demons um but uh he's clearly a good enough actor that you just you know you, you buy a lot of what's going on there um and I'm trying to think back to the end of season one of Next Gen, the end of season one of Space Nine, and like, what were my similar takes? Did I, obviously, you know, was, you know, characters changed dramatically um, between season one and season three of, of both other shows. Like, once the writers, writing staff stabilized, actors got better handled on things. So it's, it, 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 I'll say, I will say, I think this is this is certainly, and I'm I'm sure the numbers will bear this out. This was this was the most consistent first season. Um, to date, uh, I don't know what Enterprise will do, but this is this is uh, going to be a solid season. Um, well, it's it's much more consistent than both TNG and DS9. Yeah. Um, you know, TOS had a pretty gangbusters first season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but of course, it, it's sort of a different era. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel like Voyager is a veteran writing staff who you know, isn't going to make the same sort of wackadoodle mistakes right. <laughs> that TNG uh, had. Right. Um, and, you know, DS9 is... It's, DS9 is is the is, is the red-headed cousin of Star Trek. I understand that. I think it's it a, has... It's a different beast altogether. It yeah. has its virtues and its vices, but it's its own thing. I, I mean, in many ways, you know what I'll... You know what I bet... I, I bet you that the numbers for season seven of Next Gen and season one of Voyager might be pretty similar because in very many ways this has a consistency of the science fiction story. Like there's a like it has a, thinking about this now. There's a, thinking back to season seven. There was a sense of we we know what we're doing. We can crank this shit out. Let's just you know we can we can do this. So minus the history of the characters' interactions. There, I, I, you know, this almost is in a way, especially given the staff of people, much more so than Deep Space Nine. This is season eight of Next Generation for the people who work on it. No, I agree with that. Um, I remember feeling that way, you know, when the shows were premiering. You know, it's like I remember TNG ending, and I was like, man, this sucks, you know, because I wasn't like really full bodied into Deep Space Nine. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's just not going to do it for me. Like, I need this thing. You know, I need my fix. I need my fix every week. Uh, and TNG was giving it to me, you know. And so when Voyager premiered, I was like, yeah, yeah, this is the thing that I was into. You know, it felt it felt the same, you know. Uh, so I, I remember very distinctly feeling that Voyager was sort of my fix of tng style star trek you know whereas deep space nine i had to be in the mood for it you know like voyager is pizza 
DS9 is Indian food. You know, like I, I needed my fix of pizza, the thing that was comforting to me, the, the comfort food. You know, I can appreciate the virtues of Indian food, but I don't want it all the time. You know, it's like a once in a while thing. It's funny you picked that metaphor because I actually I love G Space Nine and I do actually want Indian food all the time. So it's, 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 it is yeah. humorous and noteworthy that you stumbled onto that metaphor. Because I think by the time Voyager started, I was invested enough in Deep Space Nine. By I mean, especially by the third season, you know, stuff like Dice uh, Cast and stuff that I was like, "Ooh, this is this is the start. This is what I want. This is a you know, I love Next Gen." Um, and but as I was at that point in my life, I'm like, "Okay, I, I'm ready for Star Trek Two be a little darker and mature with me. So like, yeah. And maybe that was part of, you know, I, I like to say, I think it was part of why I started to like it so much. So yeah, I, even at the time I, I, I attached more to space nine than Voyager, but I, I will say I am pleasantly surprised by how good season one is. Like it's not, I'm not just giving grudging threes out here that, you know, most of these episodes were solidly entertaining. Which is not something that could be said of uh, Next Gen or New Space Nine's first seasons. Well, season two is coming. Uh, of course, we're going to go back to Deep Space Nine before we do season two of Voyager. But uh, I will say, just looking over some of the titles, <laughs> season two gets a bit rough. Uh, probably just about as bad as uh, Deep Space Nine season two. Um, there's some, there's some drek in season two of voyager uh there's threshold there's the thaw so you've got insane clowns and mating space lizards but then there's just a whole rash of kazan episodes that you know we'll have plenty of time to discuss why the kids don't care about yeah so you know there's tattoo um you know it's just yeah There, there are highlights but it's going to get a bit rough. I think season three is when Voyager really picks up. You know, like a lot of people think that Seven of Nine was the savior of Voyager. I disagree with that. I think they had sh- they had shaken out the Kazon crap by season three, and we're starting to tell some pretty good stories. But we'll get there when we get there. Yeah. Uh, season one was uh, very strong. You know. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I'm just sitting here thinking. Uh, season two and three of Deep Space Nine for both the inconsistent sections and just our lives getting busy um, felt like it took for fucking ever. Season one of Voyager just slammed by. That's also the artifact of it being only 15 episodes. But still, I feel like we just start. I, I feel like we just sat down in your apartment to do Caretaker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's true. Um, I mean, of course, we've got. A few more episodes to, yeah. to review after this too but um yeah it has gone more quickly it, it, there's just a lightness to it to me uh you know this is my personal feeling you know i i'm like i'm already more invested in the characters after 15 episodes than after three seasons of deep space nine um you know and in some respects i kind of don't care what the stories are <laughs> at this point you know it's like yeah just give me the continuing adventures of the voyager crew and i'm cool with that you know whereas with deep space nine it took until they found a good story arc 
you know, for me to care. Um, so it was just a very different feeling for me. Uh, mm. and I, I don't think it's all the characters. I, I think there's something to this idea that there, there's something tonally or production wise or something that is just reminiscent of TNG to a degree that, you know, I'm like, yeah, cool. Just keep it coming, you know, keep feeding it to me. I'm going to keep eating it. Uh, and, and it might be mediocre pizza, but it's pizza, you know, <laughs> or, or, or root beer as Quark will say. So bubbly. Voyager's Voyager is my root beer. There you go. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, that's a six for, uh, Oh, sorry, that's a seven, seven for faces. Seven for faces. Sorry, it's, it's very late here. Um, and, uh, you know, it, there's a couple more episodes coming, but uh, uh, a wrap-up for season season one of Voyager, and, you know, it's a, it's a solid first season. All right, well, we'll catch you next time for a new episode of Deep Space Nine. And, uh, you know, have a good night. All right, good night, everyone.